Uh, if you guys have a Bible, turn to Deuteronomy 8.3. Uh, I think it's like page 152-ish. While you're doing that, I'm going to say all the lesser important things. Uh, my name's Thomas. Coming a member. Live on the east side. Part of the Warren MC. You guys, if you've been around, you've seen me. Been here since not day one, but like week one. We'll just go with that. Uh, so Kent's on vacation and asked me to fill in, just like Tayshawn filled in last week. He'll be back next week, so if you're looking forward to that, here's your chance to leave. No, I'm just kidding. Um, let's read this. Uh, I'm a, we're we're going to focus on chapter 8, verse 3. I'm going to read the first three vo- verses, and then uh, we'll pray. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. You shall remember the whole way that the Lord, your God, has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thanks that you've given us your word, uh, that you spoke and earth and everything around us was created and shaped and formed, and that by your word you, uh, you heal and you save and you forgive and you hold all things, you sustain all things. And I pray, God, today as we... Uh, approach the scripture, you would reveal your word to us, and that you would reveal the word incarnate, Jesus Christ, to us by your spirit, we pray. Uh, illuminate our hearts and minds. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, so if you've been tracking with us for the last few weeks, we've kind of been in the spiritual discipline series, and then we'll hop over to Exodus, and we've been going through Exodus for a while, and then back to spiritual disciplines. We've been kind of flip-flopping, which is great if you have ADHD, kind of like me. You're just like, great, I don't have to focus on one thing for very long. Um, so we're right, right now, we've been going through the spiritual discipline of reading the Scripture. Like, what does it look like for us to not only read Scripture, uh, right? Like, I'm sure most of us have Bibles, or have had a Bible at some point, or have like seven Bibles, if you're me, uh, and some of them just sit around and collect dust, and they aren't really used, right? What, what do we do? What do we do with this thing? Why is it important? Why is it important to engage with the scripture? That's what we've been talking about uh, for the last few weeks. Uh, we we covered where did it come from? What does it tell us? Right? It tells us the true story of the world. Uh, last week, Tayshan talked about like why do we listen? to the word being read over us or preached to us. Like, why why is it important for us to have a public reading of the word? This week, we're going to get to why is it good for us personally, right? Like, outside of Sunday morning, why is it good for us to read the Bible every day, multiple times a day, to use it as a fallback when life's crashing around you? Why is it important for that? Uh, so just a recap of what this thing actually is, right? Like it's a collection of 66 books. It's been recognized by Christians for hundreds of years as like what we call the canon. This is it. There's no more. There's no less. This is it. 
66 books, all of them pointing us in one direction. Uh, They tell us about a God who goes to great lengths to make for himself a people and a place and to uh, share in his love and joy with them. So let's dig in. Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. Give you a little context really quick. Deuteronomy is the end of the first five books of the Bible, the end of the Torah. Uh, they, uh, Deuteronomy itself means like second law. So Moses is giving his farewell address. Okay? The Israelites have been wandering around the desert for 40 years. Finally, it's over. They're sitting, camping out on the other side of the Jordan River, the promised land is across the river from them, and they're waiting to cross over with Joshua, and Moses is, is rehashing, right? Like, he's, he's given a recap of all of the law and the history to this point of the people of Israel, right? So, you know, they were 40 years wandering in the desert. Uh, the reason for that was so that the first generation would die out, and then the new generation could go in, which, like, some people are like, why would God want all of his people to die out, which, like, if you've been on a long trip with small children, you would understand the complaining and grumbling that goes on, and you would eventually be like, oh, okay, like, it's not such a big deal anymore. Uh, but so he, he sums up the law given in Exodus and Leviticus, okay, and we're here in, in, in chapter 8, and he's kind of going back, and he's saying, the whole commandment I command you today, you should be careful to do, you know, yada, yada, yada. We get to verse 3, and he humbled you and let you hunger, fed you with manna, that which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that you might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. So what's he saying here, all right? So, so if we go back to Exodus chapter 16, you don't have to turn there. We'll just kind of recap that chapter really quick, okay? So it actually kind of dovetails into where we left off in Exodus before, right? In that part of what we've been going through in Exodus, we were at the Red Sea. They're getting ready to cross, you know, Pharaoh's armies behind them. The sea is in front of them looming. There's no escape. What's going to happen? They get through, just in case you didn't know. Um, right? God parts the sea. They go through on dry land. They get to the other side. God closes the sea. He kills all of Pharaoh's army. They're safe. Great. Moses leads them in worship. And like a month later, right, a month, four weeks, they are complaining and grumbling because they've run out of food, right? So they have all of this awesome, mighty work of God, and they get to a point where suddenly they don't have bread, and they go, we're hungry. It would have been better for us to have stayed in Egypt and died than to be here. Because at least we had meat pots and bread, and we could eat until we were full, when we were in Egypt. And so God gives them manna, right? Literally translates to what is this? They didn't know. They didn't have a category for what was happening. They knew bread. They made bread all the time. They didn't know what manna was, right? It's God's providence for them. God gives them this thing in their desperation and in their need he provides for them, right? Some people said it was like dried lichen that flew around or some tree parasite that came out. It doesn't matter what it was. 
God provided for them, right? And a lot of times God provides for us in really normal, ordinary ways that we don't fully comprehend at the time. All right? So back to Deuteronomy, right? We, re- we recap, rehash. What's going on? God gave them manna. Why was that important? Moses talks about this here. Something bigger is happening than just filling bellies, right? Like something's happening in their hearts, in their minds. God's showing them something. He's doing something in them and through them to help them understand who he is. So Moses said, they were humbled by their hunger. Look, look at just the first few verses. And he humbled you and let you hunger. So God brought them low, right? He allowed them to be afflicted with hunger. He allowed their food to run out. He, he could have start. he could have provided all the way from the beginning. Like he could have just been like, all right, guys, like here it is daily, every day. But he let it run out. He let this affliction happen. Now this wasn't like, malicious. It wasn't like God was in the background going, okay, what can we do? How can we make him mad? Let's get some friction going, right? He's not like that guy who's throwing some, like throwing crazy stuff at you going, what can I do to see what really is going on, right? He just, he let it run out because people got to eat food. It was gone, and then they were hungry, right? So like this, two things you want. One, just like natural everyday stuff happened to them. They ran out of food. And at the same time, God was in the background allowing it to happen so that their hearts could be exposed, so they could, they could be humbled and brought low and understand, like, this is what the bottom of the barrel is like. And what was their first response? Man, it was so much better in Egypt right? Not, oh God, like you parted the sea and you killed our enemies and you've brought us this far and you're leading us with, with smoke and fire and, and we're going to trust you in this. It was, man, could I just get like a cheeseburger, please? Can I just, please? It was so much better when I was back there. They forgot that they were slaves. There's no mention of that at all. They forgot they were slaves. They were going to live and die in bondage, in slavery. God liberated from that, and they want to go back for some bread and some meat pot, whatever that is. They forgot the Red Sea. They forgot what God had shown them and given them and already done before them, right? I mean, like God had sent them out of Egypt with their neighbor's possessions, with all the treasure of their... They got bags of silver and gold like, God gave it to them. Literally, the Egyptians were just like, here, please take this. And they're like, God, can we just go back to Egypt, please? They forgot everything he does. Uh, to paraphrase Matthew Henry's commentary, because he wrote a long time ago, and it would be lost on us because he wrote in a very old English way. Uh, you know, ultimately, God did this to show them that his actions were because of them. Right? God didn't bring the Israelites out of Egypt because they were good people, because they were awesome people, because he needed something or somebody. or like It wasn't about them. It was about him. And we get to another point here where God is showing them, like, 
It's not about you, guys. It's about me. So he let them be brought low. He humbled them in their hunger. Ultimately to show them who he was. Uh, And then he feeds them manna. Again, like, they just, they had no comprehension, no idea what this was. Stuff just started showing up on the ground every morning, and it was there. And it tasted good, and they ate it, right? Like, there were rules and laws around it, only gather enough for you and your family for the day, and if you gather more, we see, if you go back and read Exodus, which we'll get there, they get rotted at the end of every day, so it's useless, uh, unless it was the Sabbath, right? So the day before the Sabbath, they could gather enough for their family for that day and the next day, and it lasted all the way through. So God shows up in their time of need, and he literally gives them daily bread. Literally. Like every day, they have to go out and they have to get manna. Day in, day out, 40 years. Uh, if you guys are familiar with the Passover, they, every year Jewish people celebrate the Passover. They do a Seder dinner. Have anybody ever done one of these things? They're kind of cool. Like It's actually kind of neat to, to go through and, and sit and read and listen and hear what's going on and eat and taste and remember what's happening in Exodus because we can like transpose it to today and what Jesus has done for us. But uh, in, the, in the Haggadah, there's a section where they start going through, well, if God only would have done this, it would have been enough. But he also did this. And if he only would have done this, it would have been enough. But he also did this. And they get to this point where it's like, if God would have only provided for what we needed, it would have been enough. But he gave us manna. The providence. Like, manna actually tasted good. Like, he could have just, God could have just provided. But he gave us something good. And then the next part, if God would have just given us manna, it would have been enough. It would have been enough. So he feeds them manna. He gives them what they need daily, in and out. And so Moses is kind of wrapping this up and he says, what's going on here? What's the reality behind what they were experiencing, right? Like they were brought low, they were humbled, they were afflicted, they had to go through all of this to be exposed, and God comes alongside them, and he gives them manna, right? He, he gives them what they need. And so Moses comes to the end of this, and he goes, well, it's because, like, the whole point was that they would learn that they don't live by bread alone. It's not just bread. It's not just bread. The end. I'm done. See you guys. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, so, like, what's going on here? There's an idea of them learning their dependence on God in this situation. Their hearts were exposed. They knew that, like, and we now know that they, they didn't depend on God. They wanted the old ways. They wanted to go back. They wanted Egypt again. They wanted their slavery and their bondage. There's, there's this idea of, of, like, this is about control, and dependence on God, right? They wanted to be in control. Because in Egypt, they could control when they made bread. Anybody, you guys have probably seen, at least seen bread made at some point in time. 
right? Like you can control it. You have a frame of reference. You make it. You get your hands dirty. You put it in the oven. You control the temperature. You control how it gets. You control what goes into it. Uh, but they, like, they, they were out of, they lost control. And they had to depend on someone other than themselves. They had to get to this point of dependence on God. It wasn't by their work alone, only by God. And then Moses says this beautiful thing. Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Right? In the Hebrew, every word, it's not just words, right? It's like every utterance that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Everything that comes from God gives life. All of it. This is more than words. This is both the word and the breath of God, right? If you go back to Genesis 1, we see that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. It's the same word for breath in the Hebrew, right? The breath of God hovered over the waters in the beginning. And then God spoke, and by the word and by the spirit, the earth was formed. Life was formed and given and made. Right? Ultimately, God is in control. Right? He's in control of every situation we run into. God creates by his word and his spirit. By his word and his spirit, he sustains. By his word and his spirit, he forgives. By his word and his spirit, he heals and he restores and he can provide. Right? Think about how many times did Jesus encounter sick people and his first response was, your sins are forgiven. And the Hebrew, or the, like the Jewish leaders went nuts. He's like, it's my word that forgives sin. And then he goes ahead and he heals him to prove the fact that he has the authority and the power. So in Matthew chapter 4, just to, to kind of give context, Jesus actually quotes this verse, right? He's in the desert. He's being tempted. He's uh, been fasting for 40 days. Again, he's hungry. And he comes to this point, and Satan, the enemy comes to him and says, look, if you're the son of God... Make these stones bread. Satisfy yourself. Fill yourself. Show your power. And Jesus takes a step back and he says, No. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Right? I, like, Jesus could have taken control. He could have done his own thing, right? That presented itself multiple times. Even in the garden when he's praying at the end, and he's getting ready to die, he's like, please let there be another way, Father. Not my will, yours. Not my will. Not what I want. Not my control. Not my power, but yours. So when we come to the scripture, right, like, we have these words 
These are the words of God given for us, for our benefit. God has allowed, right, if, if you look in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter writes, he says, no prophecy came around from uh, just a man. Man didn't write this stuff down, but every man who wrote these things, uh, the, he wrote them being carried along by the Spirit. I'll read it to you real quick, just so I do it justice. Second Peter, it's way back there. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So like the breath of God, the Spirit of God, carrying these people along, giving them the words to write, inspiring them to give us this, right? These words were written for people in a certain context at a certain time, but now, like, they're good for us. They're good for us to use, to read. Uh, And and we're going to talk a little bit about why. Like, this is the only time you're probably going to ever hear me have three three points. So what does it do? Why do we read it? Why do we come to it? All right, the first one, it, it exposes us, right? Like they were humbled in the desert. It exposed their hearts. When we read the Bible, when we read Scripture, it exposes our hearts. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verse 12. I'm going to turn there. You guys can turn there if you want. You don't have to. It says this, verses 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Right? So what does the Bible do? It exposes us. It exposes us to ourselves. It exposes us to what's really going on in our hearts, right? That idea of a sword that penetrates and cuts Right? To them, it would have been like a Roman sword, double-edged. And when it went in, it did a ton of damage, right? So the Bible, when you think about it, when, when we read the Bible, like it goes in and it starts to tear us apart and let us see ourselves for who we are. I, I heard it said, I couldn't find the quote, um, but I, I've heard it said multiple times, like, Scripture reads you, right? You don't just read Scripture. Scripture reads you. Because it starts to show you who you are. I'll give you an example of this from my own life. Here we go. Uh, I, several months ago, was reading through 1 Samuel 13 through 15. And in, in the chapters, right, we, we see King Saul going to war and... Uh, He's like, he does everything that the king normally should do. He says, we should probably sacrifice before we go to war. Normal, good thing, right? Yeah. So they call Samuel. Well, Saul gets impatient, and he offers to sacrifice himself, right? He does it on his own, under his own power. And Samuel gets there and goes, what have you done? Name of all things. Like, why did you do that? And it was at that point that he goes, the throne's going away from you, by the way, right? This just proves who you are, and the throne's going away from you, and God's going to set up another king. 
and another family and another bloodline, and you're like, you're done. It doesn't stop there. It gets better, right? So like, then he goes to war, and he fights whoever, the Philistines probably, uh, and he is not doing so hot, and his son Jonathan sneaks out of the camp with some of his men, and they go, and they beat the Philistines. Word has not gotten back to Saul, and Saul starts making this, like he makes this oath. Until we win, no one's eating food. Until we win, no one's eating food. Everybody's like, come on. Poor leadership, right? Jonathan gets back and is eating food. And then this whole oath thing, Saul said, whoever eats food before we win and before I know about it and before I can make my name great is going to die. And so now he's got this dilemma of, I got to kill my son because he broke the oath that I made for him, right? So I'm reading all of this and like I see that Saul is rash, he's impatient, he's abrasive, he's narcissistic, he thinks only of himself, and I go, I'm Saul. That's, that's me, right? It was like moment of clarity. One of those times where the Holy Spirit, like, maybe even audibly spoke. This is you, Thomas. I was exposed in that minute, in that moment. I was shown the reality, right? And when we read scripture, we're shown the reality that, that it's not about us. God's not making peace with us through Jesus because we're awesome. Because he needs us. Right? He's making peace with us because he's good about who he is. A lot of times when we come to the Bible, we like to read ourselves as a hero, but like, you're not the hero. You're not the hero. Sometimes you're the villain, right? But you're never the hero. When we read the Bible, we understand and we see that we're the ones who are believing lies. We're the ones grumbling and complaining in the desert. We're the ones who are hiding in a tent because there's a giant outside who's yelling things at us, right? We're the, the, uh, the, the lifeless bones in the valley. We're the unfaithful prostitute. We're the ones who are hiding from storms and we're scared of storms. We're the ones who are betraying. That's us. We are exposed when we read the Bible. It shows us who we really are. Number two, it gives us life because it points us to Jesus. It gives us life because it points us to Jesus. I'm going to read uh, John chapter 6. Stole a bunch of cardboard bookmarks from my kids so I could get all this. John chapter 6, verse 66 through 69. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Right? So Jesus gets done with this huge teaching about bread and blood 
and if they want to follow and they really want to believe, they've got to eat his flesh and drink his blood, and they're going, wait a minute, like, for, for real? Like, real flesh and blood? And that's not what he's talking about, but a lot of them are like, we can't do this. Like, flesh and blood, we can't eat that. And they, they leave. And he looks at the twelve and he goes, where are you going to go? Are you going to follow them? And I, just, I love what Peter says. Where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And you're the Holy One of God. Where are we going to go? That word, that word, word. Did I say that right? That word, word. You have the words of eternal life, right? It's the Greek word rhema. It's the exact same idea as what we see in Deuteronomy chapter 8, right? It is that utterance. You have the utterances of God. And in them are life. Because ultimately, like, Jesus is the hero that we need. Right? Like, we're not the hero. We're exposed as frauds, as imposters, as sinners, people who have broken God's law. We're not the hero, and we need one, and Jesus is the hero. And the word speaks to that time and time again. Right? Like, We'll just keep preaching this until we die or Jesus comes back, right? The whole Bible's about Jesus. It, from Genesis to Revelation, it is all about him. It points us to him every single time. It shows us the story of a God who is relentless in making a people for himself and a place for those people and to share in his love and joy. Like I said at the beginning, like we said in the, like, what's the Bible about? right? Like, that's the point. The Father sends the Son. The Son empties himself, like we see in Philippians, empties himself to, to, to obedience, even to the point of death. And the Spirit points us back to the Son and points us back to Jesus. So when we read this, not only are we exposed, but we're also given life. We're given hope. We're given a new sense of what is really going on, what things really are all about when life crashes around us, when life is great, when it's good, when like you get stuck in traffic. Like, What's it all about? It's about Jesus, and we can depend on him. Last one. So it exposes us, it gives us life, and uh, ultimately it equips us, right? It trains us. So we're going to look at... Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, all scripture is breathed out by God. Again, that idea, ruach, spirit, breath. (sighs) All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Right? So as we read this, we're also being trained in righteousness. We're also being equipped for what we're to do next, right? You want to know what you need to do in the city? Read the Bible. You want to know how to live? Read the Bible. You want to know how you need to act with your neighbor? Read the Bible. You want to know how you confront poverty? Read the Bible. Start there. Pray. Read. Meditate. Let that be your foundation. Let that equip you. Let that 
form you and shape you and, and make you into the image of Jesus. Right? So that's, that's why we do this thing. That's why it's important. Because without it, there's a bunch of grumbling Israelites in the desert longing for slavery again. So how do we do it, right? Here's some more practical application for you. How do we do it? Well, how do we normally approach the Bible, right? A lot of times when we read the Bible, we read it with ourselves at the center, right? Like I said earlier, sometimes we want to be the hero. We want to read ourselves into that position, even though we're not. Or we're just aimless in how we read the Bible, right? There's no rhyme or reason. It's sporadic. It happens once in a blue moon, it happens when life's falling apart, what do I need to do, right? Like, we approach the Bible in this way. One of my favorite ones is, like, the Magic 8-Ball Bible. Anybody? Yeah? Yeah? Right? Like, you just kind of close it and go, all right, God, should I marry that person? And the streams of Edom shall be turned into pitch, and her soil into sulfur. Her land shall become burning pit, right? Like, mm, maybe not. Uh... <laughs> It's not you, it's me. Um, or we read it to make ourselves feel better, right? Like, oh, I, f I don't feel good about myself, so I'm going to go read the Bible so I feel better. We end up with all of this, like, Christian kitsch where we've got Jeremiah 29, 11 on coffee mugs and, right, Psalm 139:14 on bumper stickers. I know the plans I have for you. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, right? Again, we're at the center of this, right? Like, they're big plans for me. God has good stuff in my future. Well, okay, like, let's go read Jeremiah. The big plans were 70 years of exile and slavery. Let's be honest, right? With Psalm 139, 11, we love that verse. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. It's true. We don't read Psalm 51, 5. I was born into iniquity and conceived into sin. We want to avoid that. It doesn't make us feel good. We re when we read the Bible that way, we, we, uh, we miss the point completely, entirely. We rob it of its power to change our lives. So how do we do it? There are two big ways that I would say like you can read the Bible for your own personal benefit. One is like study it. The other is meditate on it. And they're different, right? So like when you study the Bible... It's read, 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 read it some more, read it in chunks, read through whole books, make a plan, right? But ultimately, just start. How are you successful at anything? Just start. Don't try to read all of the Psalms in one day. That's not going to happen, right? Just take baby steps. Break it up into chunks that are digestible, and as you go, you'll be able to to read more and more and go longer and further, and then you'll start seeing things and making connections, right? Read it. Read different translations, right? Like read the ESV, read the King James, read the NIV, read the message. If you don't know, there are like three big categories of translations. There's like the literal translations, dynamic translations, and paraphrases. And like all three of them are good in their own right. And when they're all used together, it can help us understand the Bible more and better. Read the original language. 
right? Like there are tons of resources online. One of the, use, one of the ones I use all the time is studylight.org, right? It's got inline Hebrew and English. You can follow along and read the English and see the Hebrew and click through and find the word and then find all 700 other places that it is in the Bible, right? When we understand the original language, we start to understand the intent because some things are lost when we translate it to English, right? So read the original language. Cross-reference, right? You just, here's this and that correlates with this and over in James, he says something about this. Start doing some of that stuff too and read, pray, study, pray, meditate, pray, wrestle with it, pray. I don't know if you guys noticed the theme there. Pray, like pray. As you read through it, pray. The second one, study it, get, get deep down into it. Second one, meditate. Fill your mind with it. Right? Like Eastern meditation says, empty your mind, empty yourself of everything. Everything you need is at the center of you. Okay, well, the Bible says otherwise. But uh, other than that, like, when we meditate on, on the Bible, we fill ourselves with it. Like, we start to eat it and digest it and wrestle with it. But we meditate on it. We think on the things. We're intent. We're focused. One of the ways that you can do this uh, is Lectio Divina. Practiced this a few times over the years, right? It's an ancient practice. Um, Lectio Divina is Latin for divine writing, divine words. And there's a process, there's a system, like it's very systematic, right? So like you start by reading, and then you meditate on it, and then you pray, and then you contemplate some more, right? And, and the whole idea is behind, behind it is like as you read just a small chunk, like you're praying that, that the Holy Spirit would illuminate something to you that would expose you or give you hope right? That starts to happen. You start to, not literally, but, you know, in a very metaphorical way, see the pages, or see the words jumping off the page, see them brightening up, illuminating to you. The Holy Spirit's doing that. Uh, and then, like, that's a launch pad for study, right? What, what's God saying to me right now as I read through Psalm chapter 139, or whatever that is? Right? So, like, so my encouragement to you guys is, like, just start. If you need a friend to hold you accountable, just find a friend. Start. The Bible app has Bible reading plans, and you can do them with friends. And I have done them with friends, and it is so much easier to do a Bible reading plan with friends because then, uh, you know, they'll text you and go, hey, I saw you didn't read today. You're like, dang it really just wanted to bend stranger things, uh, right? Like, but ultimately, as we do this, we become like what the psalmist says in Psalm 1. We don't want to sit in the seat of scoffers or mockers. Let me just read it to you. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, sits in the seat of scoffers, but his Light is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, yields fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers.
right? As we find ourselves dependent on the Word, we find life. We find fruitfulness. We find an ability to depend on God in ways that we've never thought. Let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, I just pray that you would do something in our hearts today to give us the strength, the initiative to start reading our Bibles on our own outside of here.